episode 212 above ground podcast never give up with john blood clot joseph disclaimer the host of this podcast timothy patrick and will foley are by no means medical professionals however having lived experience with mental illness themselves they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis by sharing their stories they hope to create connection by creating connection they hope to help you find your purpose and through purpose we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the peer perspective. it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what is up everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above ground podcast because you can't serve below. That's right, TPP. You cannot serve below. And this morning, we are going to talk about what really rising above is all about. Because this morning, we are joined by none other than Mr. Blood Clot himself, John Joseph. And if you don't know who John Joseph is, John is a 13 time Iron Man, he is a plant based athlete. He is a author. <laughs> was in Promags since the fucking beginning, since day one, <laughs> when the band started, and now I'm doing Blood Clot. Uh, End of story. And the most, the thing that brings him here to us is a book that has been a really big thing in my life since I've started listening to it and found it on Audible, which is PMA, man, positive mental attitude, because that's what Joe, John Joseph is all about. John, thank you so much, man, for joining us this hey, morning. Man, How are you doing? Be, good to be here. I'm, I'm fantastic. That's the PMA effect. That's right. The PMA effect. Right. I even have it written down here. Yeah. PMA, <laughs> the PMA effect. How a positive right. mental attitude can make you the beast you were born to be. I think it says badass, but who am I? I just I don't I don't know. All right. I, I'm sorry. Maybe I haven't had enough fucking coffee this morning. Hey, go get something. <laughs> hey, but yeah, it's great, great to be here. And I, you know, I had a friend, uh Kevin McQuaid, God rest his soul, uh, struggling with addiction. And he always said, you know, he was a wild motherfucker, man. He was like this little fucking Irish badass fucking dude, tough as fucking nails, but he uh he would always say, Johnny, any day above ground is a good day. Sadly, uh, he relapsed and uh, was on the streets. And, you know, I used to feed him when, you know, I would always feed the homeless and I would make up a fucking plate. And uh, and here's the bear making an, making an appearance. Bear I love it. There's, there's the bear. Yes, I love it. No fucking manners. And uh, I would always look for him and, and uh, bring him some food and and talk to him, you know, like just so, uh, some compassion. I would see him out there sleeping on the park benches and sit down with him. And the last time he was I saw him like he was bad, man. He, he fucking pissed himself. And what happened was he, he went to jail because he got cancer. They had to remove his intestines but he was robbing banks to pay for his fucking surgery so he kept robbing banks he was on the cover of the fucking i think the post or whatever they finally caught him he goes my luck ran out on saint patrick's day believe it or not 
And even once they got, they gave him a die pack and he was on the fucking train with a bottle passed the fuck out. And the cops were like, hey, what's all this red shit all over you? Like, and he's like, oh, I was painting somebody's house. But they they were waiting for him, man. They they And, and uh, St. Patrick's Day, he fucking said, all right, I'm going to rob a bank. He got caught. He went to jail. He got all these surgeries. And, and then he became homeless and an alcoholic. And, you know, I, I love telling his story because... I would always sit there and we would talk philosophy about the Cro-Mags and what the lyrics were about and how, you know, my past with drugs and everything. And and then I didn't see him for a while. And he was so bad the last time I thought he died, you know. And I didn't see him for like three months. And then I walked into Angelica's Kitchen, this like famous plant-based organic restaurant. And he's fucking sitting there all cleaned up, eating a fucking meal. And he's like, yo, Johnny, I've been clean for three fucking months. Thank you. And we became like amazing friends, him and me and my girl and just everybody, man. And then, you know, shit happened. And, and you know, we get those moments where it's like we're in a situation. What are we going to choose to do? Right. And, and with my sobriety, I always talk about this. I, I'm in situations and then it's like. That pressure's on. What what are the decisions we make under the pressure? You know, he, shit went wrong with his relationship with some girl, and then he he went back to drinking, and he got drunk, and he was homeless, and it was pouring rain, and he went out of the fucking rain into the subway, but he was so drunk he fell down the stairs of the subway, the metal stairs they got in New York, and hit his fucking head, went into a coma. His family wrote me and was like, you know, Kevin fucking loved you, man. Come say goodbye. So I had to go to like, I think it was uh, NYU or one of them hospitals over there on First Ave and said some prayers over him, fucking gave him a fucking hug and a kiss. He was on life support and then they removed him and he left the next day. But, you know, it made me really that when I see that above ground, it always makes me think of uh, of my friend Kevin McQuaid, man. Awesome, and he had man. a lot of gold because I'll tell you one last thing before we move on. After he got clean and sober, he would come out and help me feed the homeless people because he was like, yo, this is called paying it forward. That's what it's about. You fucking help me. And then he would sit there and talk with the other people that he knew from being on the streets and drinking and doing drugs and saying, hey, man, just get one day under your belt. Like, I just I just observed him do that. And I'm like. That's a motherfucker that gets it, you know? That's uh, Can we start there? Can we start yeah. there? Where did you find this compassion and empathy? How did you find this? Was this what you developed out of the horrible first six years of your life? And uh, it wasn't the first. Well, I, I mean, I witnessed a lot of shit in those years, but then I was put into foster care because my mom, my father was beating the shit out. I, you know, out of my mom, and he was, I mean, he's a pro boxer, fucking beating on, beating on my mom, who's like fucking 115 pounds, and uh, she spun into depression and pills, and they had her on fucking, fucking speed, and then barbiturates, and it was just, a, and then this, and, and, and um, you know, I talk about the last memory I have of that motherfucker, and it was like, he broke in and fucking just started beating on my mom and smashing up the house and the cops took us away. And then I th we went back with her for a little while and then she just spun out. The landlady found us like out in the fucking snow. House was filthy um, and she was passed out, you know, and then the state 
they they were like, you're an unfit mother. You know, this, these are people in need of supervision into the fucking orphanages, into the foster homes. The compassion came from my spiritual teacher, Prabhupada, who at 70 years old left India because his teacher said, go to the West and help people. They need it. You know, they're suffering over there. They need consciousness. They need a higher power. And he got on a boat at 70 years old with $7 in a case of books and came to the Lower East Side, slept on the floor, was robbed, you name it. And he got in with all the beatniks and the hippies of the 60s, 67 in Tompkins Square Park. But it was always about compassion. He was always like, nobody should go hungry within a 10 mile radius of, of any one of our temples. And just finding out about his compassion and acharya means one who leads by example. Now you got all these people, they want you to kiss their ass, worship them, even in the Krishna movement. It's all these people that are not worthy of that, that want it. And I don't fuck with that. So I just follow the example of Prabhupada. And that's what he said was always be in a position in life of service, service attitude. That's what he always talked about is the service attitude. So that's, that's where that comes from. And, you know, um, how old were you when you met him? How old were you when you first? Him. I didn't meet him because he oh, left okay. his body okay. in 77, I think, or 78. Okay. I, I'm so I, that's offensive that I don't even remember the date. But yeah, I, I, I started get, going to the temple in 80 and 81 and then started reading the books. And then, you know, he said there's two Sanskrit words, Vapu and Vani. Vapu means uh, the Vapu means the physical form, like to be in the presence of a of a of a acharya, of a teacher, of a holy man. And that's what Prabhupada was. He was a holy man. I got my little shrine to him back there. And uh, and then he said Vani, which is the instruction. So so he he was asked, what's the more important of the two? And he goes, it's always the Vani because. It's when I'm not around what people do. Every one of us that's born is going to die, right? So who's going to carry on the instructions after my departure of this physical world? That's the real devotees. And taking to heart what he said every day, I wake up, I chant, I, I, I do my work. It's, it, it, you know, I was writing yesterday. I spun out, I'm writing this book on addiction and I, I, I talked about how it got so fucking crazy the two years. I started dabbling in, 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 in uh, 87, sniffing fucking blow. And I remember like Master of Puppets came out in 86. And then I'm sitting there, I heard it after, and I'm like, sniffing fucking blow with Doug Holland. And I'm like, fucking, you know, Master, Master, fucking. I'm like, yo, I'm becoming a slave to this shit. Like, if it got me, you know, but I couldn't stop. And then I got into the freebasing and I just spun the fuck out and then cracked because that's the poor man's freebasing, pills and fucking drinking. And I went on this tear for like two years. And it was only because at the end, man, I had, I, I had nothing. I burned every bridge. I robbed drug dealers who were trying to fucking kill me. I had KOSs. You know, kill on site, TOS, terminate on site. I was robbing. Not a good person. And I hit, you know, they say rock bottom. I'm like, nah, man, 
You could go lower than rock bottom. You could be under the fucking rocks with the maggots and the worms and the fucking decaying carcasses. And that's where the fuck I was. I came back. I, I don't want to let it out. Uh, this, this book, I was in tears yesterday writing it because I lost my brother October 20th um, to addiction. And to be writing his story and the story of our family, and that's what it's really about. It's a family uh, story. I've had to find out about my father's side and, and all this, but um, you know, it's just been a, it's just been a fucking, it's just been a journey, man. And and um, you know, I was writing like this crazy shit that I went through, and then the West Coast, we burned bridges. I robbed, you know, with this girl. We were fucking ripping people off, and it was like the the you know the free bait, the Bonnie and Clyde of the fucking drug world, man. And she came from a very wealthy family, and like, it, it's just a crazy story. I wrote about it in the Evolution of a Crow Magnum, but what I've been able to do is to take all of those stories and say, hey, this is the common denominator with all this shit that I went through was the addiction and the problem that I had with it. And I was sitting there and this crazy shit happened and the cops almost got us at JFK when we landed. I got away fucking. And uh, I went to this. I had like fucking like like uh, like an ounce and a half of blow. And I just went to this crack house on like I, like it was like Alphabet City somewhere. And, and, you know, back then you could go to these people's houses and you just you could cook up in their house, you know, like make your rocks or smoke your crack, which is what most of them did. They didn't have that money. So they see me in there with the baking soda, cooking up the fucking, the, the good rocks. And I'm sitting there getting high and next thing I know, bang, somebody fucking hits me with a two by four piece of fucking wood. Woke up in a puddle of my own blood. Everything I had gone, man. The money, the fucking coke. I had nothing. I went out and I sat in front of Prabhupada's tree. It's a holy tree now. The first place that he chanted outside of India. It's 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 a New York City landmark in Tompkins Square Park. There's like a city plaque there and everything. Like Allen Ginsberg, the hippies. Everybody used to go there and chant with Prabhupada. And I just sat there and it was pouring fucking rain. My head was fucking leaking. And, and I just I just started chanting in front of that tree and, you know, begging for help. I, I was powerless against this thing that had me, this monster. And the next day was the Sunday feast at the Krishna temple. And I just went there and I said, if you don't let me stay here, I'm going to fucking die. So that was how I crawled my way out of that shit, little by little. But it was that spiritual process that took me back. When I got so far off the rails, that's what fucking pulled me back. So I owe everything to Prabhupada, you know, everything. And wow. I fight for his, his good name to the day I fucking leave this, this body. That's it, you know? That's incredible, man. I, I want to ask you because this has come up in my life recently. And for someone with your 
work ethic and everything. What, what is some advice that you can give someone who has problems asking for the things that they need? Because had you not gone to that temple that day and begged for help and said, you have to help me or I'm going to die. What if you hadn't had the guts to do that? You'd have died. Yeah. More than I, likely. I, I and what do you say to somebody that is afraid to ask for help or needs hey, to ask man, for help? Don't get it. Don't get all in your fucking head about it, man. Because, you know, it, it's like you'd be surprised how many people care and the compassion out there. You know, my brother, Frank, he has so much compassion for everybody else, but he didn't have that compassion for himself. He didn't have that love for himself. You know, because of what happened to us as kids, he couldn't get over that. My other brother, you know, I got into the spirituality, the writing, the music, and, and, and the writing is what was cathartic. It helped me get over the shit. My brother Frank was always the weak one, tough as fucking nails, but emotionally couldn't deal with it. So he was afraid to ask for that help. And we had to do interventions on him. I did an intervention on him the day before fucking 9-11. And I was had him on a flight to Puerto Rico the next day to go to St. Thomas to a rehab. My friends, Joey Morrison, Alex Morrison, tough fucking Irish family, Josh from the Lower East Side. They, uh, it was Joey uh, that ran like um, a program in St. Thomas. So Frank was going to go there and then 9-11 hit. And I couldn't, and he had, and he detoxed on my fucking couch. Like, I couldn't get a flight and like he just relived all the shit that we went through. And it was like, I was not ready for that. And then everything with the nine 11 shit, locking everything down. And, you know, what I say to people is there's a famous saying, you know, the squeaky wheel gets to grease. Don't be afraid to ask for shit. We build up all these scenarios in our head of what we think people think or whatever this shit. And, and people let a fear of embarrassment fucking kill them. Don't do that. You know, people have compassion. There's a lot of people. I know people, you know, I didn't go through um, the drug program or the, or, the, or the 12 steps or to go to the rooms. But there's a lot of people that did. Look at Michael Alago. If you haven't seen his movie, who the fuck is that guy? Famous, like, you know, like sign Metallica fucking like just his musical credentials is like going to fucking see Saw the Germs in 77 in fucking LA. Like, just this little gay dude, man. I fucking love him. But his whole shit now is, he doesn't even talk about it, but he goes to the meetings and sets up the chairs and the coffee, and he's always doing Zoom to help people. And, you know, there's people out there that give a fuck, man. And, and you know, the ones that are going to criticize you I still got people talking shit about things that I did, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. We're not that person anymore, but that's what they hang on to because they want to trash you. And there's those people too, but I avoid them like the plague. So stick around the positive people, you know, in my coaching system, that's what I teach. It's about our network. Who, we, who do we spend our time with? I'm not trying to spend my time with crumb bums, right? That's why motherfuckers want reunions and all this shit. I've been there, done that four times. I learned my lesson. There's nothing I, I want out of that. And uh, I just choose to be around good people. And if you are struggling, fucking reach out, man. Get, get the fucking help you need. 
because the help is out there and you can't go it alone. Prabhupada said one stick could be broken. Bang. You take fucking a hundred sticks, a bundle, you ain't breaking it. And there's power, you know, there's strength in numbers. We know that. So just, uh, just ask for the help and work your ass off, man. I wrote this book. This shit took me four years. I was like a monk writing this shit. Stayed to myself. Find something that you're passionate about, that you have an emotional attachment to. This is a book I'm reading, and I recommend it for everybody on this podcast because it's called 12 Week Year. year. And it's not about get rich quick. I'm going to work 12 weeks out of the year, and that's it. No, that's not what it's saying. It's It's saying... You break things down into these three-month sections and apply some goals that you want to accomplish, and then you get after it. But the thing he says is there needs to be an emotional attachment to that goal, because then when things get difficult, you won't quit, right? And that's why people quit. They get to the point where they get to the, they think everything's going to be great, and then everything's going great. It's peaks and valleys, and then when they hit the valley, if there's no emotional attachment to the goal, they're going to quit. That's when most people quit. But you have to dig yourself out of that. It's not just reading books. It's not just reading the PMA effect. Everybody says, oh, yeah, I read this, I read that. Knowledge without application is useless. Prabhupada said, we don't want armchair philosophers. You could have a whole fucking shelf, bookshelf of fucking books. If you don't apply what's in that book, I don't give a fuck if you read it or not. What the fuck does that matter? So I applied what's in that book, the 12-week year. And I broke it. And my girl gave it to me for Valentine's Day. Best fucking gift ever was knowledge. Knowledge is the greatest gift in this world. Knowledge can take us from hell to heaven in a minute. But I applied that. So what did I accomplish? I'm, 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 I banged out. I got three quarters done on my uh, book, which became that's that's the big goal. And then the, the 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 smaller goals was I'm writing this TV pilot. I'm I'm training for my Ironmans coming up. You know, uh, just other things. But it works if you apply the knowledge. It works if you don't apply it. It don't work. You know that's. Science means you have a formula, you apply it, you get a result. You don't go fucking changing the formula. Prabhupada said that. You know, you don't go thinking, I know better, right? And then I'm going to change. This is what happened in the Hare Krishna movement. These guys stepped up and thought they knew better than Prabhupada. They don't. They're conditioned souls like all of us. But they put themselves in a position of power and stealing money and doing all this insane shit. So look what happened to the movement. Somebody said that the other day. I never see the Hare Krishnas out there anymore. That's right. Because the leaders are there stealing money in their bank accounts, renounced people with bank accounts, millions of dollars in offshore accounts. People getting paid six figures to be the temple president. Get the fuck out of here. Prabhupada slept on the floor. Prabhupada had no possessions. Prabhupada cooked for everybody, fed them, and cleaned up before he took a grain of rice. That's the example I'm looking for. So apply the knowledge. Apply the knowledge. If if you're struggling, fucking reach out, man. Get your camp together, man. I got my camp. I know who's who. 
you know, and and uh, don't be, Prabhupada said too, don't be surprised at the ones that go, be surprised at the ones that stay. Oh, that's a good Remember one. Remember that. Don't be surprised if somebody relapses. Be surprised by the ones that don't. And how did they do it? Pick their brain. See what they're fucking doing. Examples better than precept. That's what Prabhupada said. So it ain't the motherfuckers mouthing off on the internet and the social media about how great their band is or I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm going to make motherfuckers question why they ever picked up a fucking instrument and then their record comes out and it's like, that shit didn't even go aluminum foil. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Shut up. Do your fucking work. Don't fucking brag. Okay? Stay humble. Stay, Stay humble, humble for humility. Think of yourself lower than the straw in the street, devoid of all sense of false prestige. More tolerant than a tree. Always offering respects to others in that state of consciousness, one can constantly chant the holy name of Hare Krishna. So that's the philosophy. That's the Shikshastaka. And that was the eight prayers Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left, only eight instructions. And that was the number one. Remain humble. You talked about... And, and, and ask for help. That takes humility to say, I don't fucking know it. I don't got the answers. Don't let your false ego get in the way of your fucking life, man. So that's what I got to say about that. You talked about paying it forward earlier. Do you kind of look at some of your works of art, like mostly your books? Is that in a way of you paying it forward, passing uh, on some of yeah. that wisdom? Oh, of course it is. Yeah. You know, um, it's paying it forward. You know, with with the with the with the health stuff and 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 the mindset and the story, I I can't even tell you how many people told me this book fucking helped them. Uh, I mean, even the accolades on the back, Patty Jenkins that did Monster, Beastie Boys, like you know, uh, Adam Yout was my boy, God rest his soul. It's not just putting the work out; it's 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 Doing the, you know, I follow the four agreements, right? You know that book? That's a great book. Another one, Don Miguel Ruiz. I went to see him speak in 2000. Somebody got me tickets for my birthday and I went to see him speak and I had already read the book, blew me the fuck away. But what he says is always do your best. Don't make assumptions. Don't take things personal and be impeccable with your word. That means with yourself too. You make an agreement with yourself, you follow that out, you honor that agreement. If I said, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna get this done. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my damnedest to, to get it done. But it's always, always do your best. And that's gonna change from day to day. So that's why the yoga comes in. See, I tie it all in together because what does yoga say in the Bhagavad Gita? that you have a right to the work, you don't have a right to the result of the work. If you're sitting there with a fruitive mentality, like I'm gonna make this music and I'm gonna sell millions of copies and be rich and famous and a rock star, or I'm gonna write this book and can't be thinking like that. You gotta do shit for the love of the work. I, I saw an interview with Joey Ramone last night from 77, I posted it on Facebook. And what was Joey saying? He's like, 
man, we're fucking rock and roll. I love it. I, I, I know Joey. I used to see him in Rockaway Beach in the 70s. And then you saw the Ramones back then. Huge fan, right? And I always loved Joey because he was so fucking cool about he would always sit there with those round aviator shades and his hair hanging, but their fucking wheels were turning up there. And he's like, you know, we just, you know, we don't care that everybody else is into the glam shit now and, you know, Poison and all these bands in New York. He didn't mention their names, but you know who he was talking, you know, dressing with the makeup and the hairspray and all this shit. We just fucking... You know, I saw the Who in 66, and uh, it just affected me, man. It's rock and roll, man. It's And there's, and he goes, and there's great bands out there doing it, man. The he, Motorhead, and, you know, he starts naming some fucking bands, and I'm like, right the fuck on. He didn't care about the fame or any of that shit. He, he, he stuck with what was in their heart, which was punk rock, Bad Brains too. What do you think Band of DC came from? They, they wanted them to be a pop band. That's how talented they were. You know, they could have played anything. Listen to the first single. Uh, Pay to come and then stay close to me on the other side. Produced by Jimmy Quid of the Dots, famous New York City uh, band. But they could have gone any way. That's how talented they were. But they chose punk rock. And then they couldn't even get a gig in D.C. They had to fucking going to swim across the ocean because that's the only place I could go. That was about them. The dam saw them and played with them at the Bayou Theater in 79 in D.C. and was like, these fucking blokes. Holy fuck. We're going to take them over. Fucking we're going to take them to Europe and fucking blow everybody away because nobody saw black punk rockers do that shit like them. Listen. Pure hell, any of them bands, they couldn't shine. No offense to them, but Bad Brains was next fucking level. Next fucking level. And they stayed true to their shit. I was there. I met them in right after like they did the first show in, in, in CB's 79 Christmas and all that and came up to New York. All their shit got stolen. For, uh, their van got towed. Some motherfuckers... They went up to use the bathroom and came down their van full of all their shit was gone. Coming from the ghetto of D.C. Like black dudes playing punk. Talking about the system. Nobody was doing that. And I met them right after. And, you know, before they really got into Rastafari. Because if you look in 79, them shows they were doing and the park show they did in Central Park and all that in 80 or well, 70. It was 80, I think, early. 80. You know, they hadn't grown the dreads yet. When I met them, they still, you know, they still had the froze, but they was wild motherfuckers. <laughs> and true to their, true to their art. That's what it's about, man. Stay true to your shit. And then like, you know, especially in music, everybody was like polluted by the record deal and the salary and, all that bullshit in the 90s. Where is any of those bands now? I can still put on a Ramones record and rock the fuck out to it. I can still put on a Bad Brains record. I can still listen to the damn. I can listen to the Sex Pistols. 
Stay true to the shit. Always do your best. If, if you got an idea, make it happen. Start writing it down. That's the advice that I tell people. It, pull that shit out of the ether. It doesn't exist until my teacher said that, Robert McKee. It doesn't exist until you write it down. And that is a scientifically proven fact. You process it differently in your brain when you write yeah. it. Your brain, it, it your brain absorbs real. it. Yeah. And I see your corkboard right behind you on the floor. That's man. fucking... Yeah, I got shit everywhere. That's uh, that's for the pilot I'm writing. I got shit everywhere over here. I got for the book. I got, I got three. You keep a corp. You keep a separate corkboard for every project every that's going project. on. Yep, yep. I don't like. I tell people in my coaching system, I'm like, this is what you got to do, man. And people do that shit, and then you know, it's in front of you too, like. It, it's a reminder, like, yo, I got to get this done. It should fucking bother you if you flake on your shit. It should bother you if you make an agreement, like it says in the four agreements. You, 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 if you're, if you, if you're in, not impeccable with your word and you don't get your shit done, there you go. Don't make them assumptions either. Always do your best. Don't take things personal. There you go. So, like, it should bother you that you don't get it done. You don't give yourself a pass on flaking. It's better to show up and 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 have a shitty outcome of the work than to flake. You're not. I said that in the PMA effect. You're not going to hit a home run every time you step up to the plate. That's a fucking illusion. No, batting averages don't lie. And... and you know, with this microwave Insta fame society, oh, I'm gonna put TikTok videos up. My viral's gonna, my video on YouTube's gonna go viral. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. It's fucking. We're living in a. It's fucking. It's fucking cuckoo for cocoa puffs out there, man. You know, you got to be able to see through all that shit. You should be about the work. I don't. I don't never sit there focusing on like people like. Did you know Age of Quarrel? I'm like, was going to be this like fucking, you know, rock of like whatever the fuck, like, you know, this this record that'll stand. It. I'm like, no, I just loved what I was doing. I went and fucking did it. I loved writing lyrics. I went and did it. Even even the blood clot shit, you know, up in arms and then Todd passed away and now we just put our souls and we're working on, It's it's all about like, just loving what you do. Just love what you do. And then the passion comes through, whatever that art is. If you're painting, if you're fucking writing books, if you're writing films, if you're playing music, whatever the fuck you do, just be have the passion about it. Stop thinking of the outcome. I, I and I said that too. I'm like, yo, when I'm in an Ironman, I'm 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 in the water on that 2.4 mile swim. I'm just fucking stroking i'm loving it i'm like wow this is amazing i get to do this look at all these fucking amazing athletes you know nobody has to be here doing this and then you know i i stay in the moment i i want to enjoy the moment i'm not i'm not thinking like what's going to happen when i get on the bike and when i'm on the bike i'm just enjoying the 112 mile ride i'm not thinking holy fuck how am i going to run a marathon after this as bad as the pain gets, doesn't matter. I just stay in that moment and then the run the same thing. I always say that too. 
When you come out of the water and you're in the changing tent, everybody's, it's fucking loud as fuck. Everybody's like, yeah, all right, getting your bike shit on. You can hear a fucking pin drop when you get to T2, which is transition two from the bike to the run. That's when it gets fucking real and nobody's talking. It's like when motherfuckers are getting ready to jump out of an airplane into a combat zone. It's fucking, you You know, I don't put it on that level. That's some next level shit, but you know what I'm, I'm getting at. That's when it gets real. So always stay in the moment. Always work hard. Always do your best. Always write your shit down. Always have a goal. How the fuck do you not have goals? And I got fucking a ton of them. That's what I'm, that's what I add. I'm like, I always got something going on. You have to. You can't just flow through life like a pinball, like a fucking pool ball on the table of life. You know, like after hours. Remember that movie? Bad Brains was in that. That was Scorsese. Bad Brains song, Pay to Come. And the guy was like a pool ball on the table of life, man. Like bounced around, just bang, bang. Universe hitting him with shit. You got to have focus. You got to have a goal and you got to march toward that fucking goal. That's why I always got a goal. I got two Iron Mans coming up. I want to finish this book. I, I got a couple of documentaries I'm, I'm getting ready to do. Um, TV show, movie, another movie, comedy. I'm writing this punk rock comedy. So it's always about having something that's going to occupy my time because, you know, and I don't mind is the devil's workshop. So always work hard, man, and write your shit down, man. I always do. I got index cards, all my shit, what I got to get done. That's what it's about. What is the best part about getting done with a project for you? So I read, I read Stephen Pressfield. He's, he's one of my mentors, all right? Okay, I pull it out. The War of Art. Come on, guys. No books. Read books. You know, hardcore people. Read the, War of Art, the War read, of Art is the best book ever. Read, Read a fucking book, hardcore people. <laughs> Read books. All right? It's important. But he tells this story about how the old writers used to go up in, like, trailers and shit in the hills. Remember that story? He got Do the Work. Do uh, the Work. Art, all that. Yep. There's books everywhere, man. I, I, I flipped through them. Uh, me, me too. Turning Pro, all that stuff. Right, it's, yeah. it's awesome. There you go. That's why you got a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He said that he was getting this uh, rewrite done, right? And his mentor was up there too. And he was so excited and he's amped up. And it was typewriters back then, you know? Fucking printed out pages, man. Old school writing, you know? Horton Foot level shit, if you know who that is. He wrote Tender Mercies. Like, writing was like, you know when you get a good writer on a script or whatever or a book. It's it's a crap. They can they 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 know how to handle the crap. So Stephen Pressfield said he was so excited to get the new draft and the finished draft. And he went to the mentor and he handed him the draft. And what did he say? You remember? He said, Great. Now start, now start the, next the next one. one. Right. It's always about starting right after you, before you ship, you're already ready to work on the don't, next one. Don't sit there fucking, you know, there's a lot of people. 
Don't rely on your past laurels, man. I don't give a fuck that I made Age of Quarrel or I got this book or that book or Burn Babylon Burn, whatever. I'm always looking like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing I'm doing? You know? Start the next one. So when I get to that point, I'm excited, yeah, because it's proven, the science is proven. If you do the work and you fucking, and you do it the right way, like, you know, I'm a student of writing. I yeah, Robert, Ma Robert McGee, Robert McGee is McKee. your, Robert McGee, your sto that's story, my writing, right? That's my writing guru. So it's like, you know, you get a lot of people and they say, oh yeah, I wrote a book. No, you didn't write a book. The guy that is on the book with you wrote the book. You got a ghostwriter. That don't make you a writer. You told your stories and somebody else wrote it. I'm a writer. That's what I do. Every word in my books, every word on the page came from me. And that's not bragging, but it's just know the difference in the art. Okay? If I was to sit some of these people with books down and say, write me fucking 10 pages right now, that shit would be garbage. And that's the whole thing. If you did this, then prove it. Say you wrote a book, write me 10 fucking pages right now. Let me see what you do. Some people can't even fucking spell. When they hit the spell check, the fucking computer blows up. You know, so it's, it's always about improving on the craft. Always do your best. And what does that mean? That means I'm willing to destroy the work along the way too. I was lucky to have great mentors like Ditto Montiel, uh, who did um, Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, and Patty Jenkins, who did Monster, and all these great film and television people, and, and Sam Sheridan, Patty's wife, Patty's uh, husband, to read my scripts. Brian Callen read my scripts and mentored me. But what does that mean? That means I put my fucking ego aside. If I asked you to write a, read my script and give me coverage on my script, I tell them firsthand, fuck the friendship, hit me with the shit. That's what I'm giving it to you for. There ain't no ego here. I want you to fucking let me know. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. Well, not funny, but I wrote this T, I wrote this pilot about the angel dust trade, right? That I was involved with crazy motherfuckers in the 70s, crazy shit, dude. There's these guys, computer and disco Mike, we called them, who ended up, I found out, getting fucking, he was raping kids, slipping them drugs. He tried to do it to me and raped this other kid. And the, he, he raped a mafia's kid, nephew, and somebody online just said, Hey, man, I just read your book. Look at this fucking newspaper article. And it was him. And he got murdered by the mafia and they shoved the baseball bat up his ass and killed him and beat him to death because he was raping fucking teenagers, giving them Mickeys and raping them. But anyway, I'm telling the whole fucking story. I give it to Patty. Insane shit. This guy used to whip up on top of Houdini's grave in uh, Mecklefierson fucking cemetery out there in Queens. Crazy motherfucker. Like Walter White, genius level, chemical engineer, made the best dust in the city. And I gave it to Patty. And I thought, I fucking, you know, everything she's got, you got great characters. These fucking stories are great. But 
you're missing a very important subplot. And she said, the police, who was chasing you? Who was after you trying to take you down? That's, you have the A story, but there's B, C, whatever. There's different levels to story. You need subplots. So then that led me on another journey. Okay, I'm like, well, how the fuck do I find a cop that was around then doing that shit? So my friend, uh, Bill Hall, hardcore dude, uh, head, head, one of the head detectives in the 75 in Brooklyn. If any of you saw that thing on Netflix, the 75, about the most corrupt cop in New York City history, he was in that precinct when he came out of the uh, academy and he was in charge of the gun confiscation task force. So I said, Bill, you, you know, he's like, can you help me out with this? I got to do some research and find like um, somebody that, that dealt with that shit. And, um, Bill was just uh, asking around months, couldn't find anybody. He's like, yo, I'm not having any luck with this man. Sorry. And then one day he was just walking out Long Island where we lived and he had the seven, five sweatshirt on. And this guy old timer goes, Hey, you on the job? You know, that's cop talk for, you know, are you a cop? He goes, yeah, you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in the seven, five. And he goes, yeah, I used to be, you know, detective in, in, in uh, Queens. And he goes, what, what precinct? And I think he said the 105 or whatever the fuck. And he goes, that was right in the area where all the dust was, like the Carbines, Forest Park, Ridgewood, all that. He goes, let me ask you something. I got a buddy that's, uh, you know, legit. He's has an agent and everything, and he's trying to write this thing about the angel. You know anybody who was involved in the angel, angel dust trade detectives? And the guy fucking smiles and he goes, I was in charge of the Angel Dust Task Force. John Wildman Wild. This is the meeting that we had in fucking Long Island at a diner. That's John Wildman Wild on the uh, left. That's, that's wild. That's awesome. That's my man. notepad. That's my book. That's Bill Hall behind me. And he goes, I locked up all of those people that you you fucking talk about in this book. I know those people. <laughs> but his story was so fucking amazing. Guess what ended up happening? I made him the central protagonist, his story. So and then you, you embellish it a little bit because whatever is TV writing. I ended up submitting that script to Howie Tannenbaum who is Vince Gilligan's agent that did Breaking Bad. He fucking flew me out to fucking, I went out to LA and had a fucking meeting with him. And he's like, comes in. So his assistant is there first. He's like, I just want to tell you, like, this is what I talk about doing the work and be willing to destroy your work and stay humble and take the advice from the mentors. And his, his assistant goes, I just want to let you know what a fucking big deal this is because like, yo, you know, this is like next level shit. And the fact that he loved your writing so much. So Howie Tannenbaum comes in. He's like, hey, John, you know, not great to meet you. He's like, I get 40 scripts coming across my desk every fucking month at least. I read five pages. It goes in the reject pile. 99% of them. I read every fucking page in this script. And I wanted to know what happens next. You know. You handle story, stay ahead of the audience, all that stuff. 
I said, well, Robert McKee's my teacher. He fucking lights up. He's like, yeah, I knew it, you know. And then, uh, so he goes, I'm going to be honest with you, though. It's period. Period's tough. You're a first-time writer. But I'm going to send it around. He sent, he, he CC'd me on everybody he sent it to. Spike Lee, everybody. Everybody said the same thing. Love the stories, but period, hard to get it done. So his advice to me was like, hey, look, you know, do what Vince did. Get jobs. Try to get writing on a show. Be a, be a, be a writer on a show. Develop a little resume. Uh, you know, he wrote on what? The Shield. He wrote on X-Files. And then, and then we can revisit this and maybe make some changes, update it to current, whatever. I got ideas for that now, too. But the thing was, I never stopped writing. That didn't discourage me. You know, I, I kept I kept at it and kept working on the craft. Like, but the only reason that recognition came is because, like Stephen Pressfield said, I did the work. Do the work. Don't talk, do the work. I just kept writing, kept, you know, just kept writing, kept writing stuff. If you're a writer, you love writing. What did Stephen Pressfield also say? Do you remember? And somebody asked him, what are you going to do if you never, if you never sell these stories or whatever? And remember what he said? He said he, said he was going to keep writing. And he said, I love writing. Who cares? I'll sit down with my grandchildren and tell them my stories. That's storytelling. That's storytelling. That's an art form. That's right. It's the oldest art form. That's right. People used to sit around and fucking tell stories, man. That's how we passed on everything. That's how Prabhupada came. That's that's how we did that's all of it. this. You know, the uh, disciplic succession, the story being passed on, don't change nothing. But, you know, and, and even to this day, man, I'm still writing. I wake up. You have to be, you know, you have to find something you love so much that you can't wait till your feet touch the floor to get after it in the morning. I, I wrote about that too in the PMA effect. Find your passion, find your thing, be all in. I love getting up every day and I get to go fucking boom. I just wrote the whole shit yesterday and it fucked me up, man, because it was about confronting my mother about all this shit and you know, she confided in me like when I'm four, 40 something years old that she was raped by my father she, and she never planned to have me or my brother, but she left him and he fucking broke in and raped her. And everybody said, don't have that kid. But she was like, you guys were still my babies. I, you were still my sons. I couldn't do that. And she struggled through fucking hell. And I never knew any of this, the medications and all the crazy shit that she went through and the beatings that she went through, even while she was pregnant with me, this man was beating her. This man hit her once carrying my little brother and he fucking fell down a half a flight of fucking stairs, an infant. So I didn't know, breaking in, stealing any money she had to fucking feed us. Like I, I, once I knew her story it, and I wrote about that yesterday and how, you know, even my brother's death we and everything else, we've become closer as a family. If you're above ground and this comes back to the name of your podcast, that's a gift. Every day you open your eyes, you better fucking see it as a gift because guess what? Some motherfuckers didn't open their eyes today. 
Right. On October 21st, 2022, my brother didn't open his fucking eyes. And you know what I keep right there, right in front of my computer when I write Frank's picture. When Mike got the call, I was in the middle of writing this book on addiction and that call came to me and I was with, I don't know if you know Scam Dust, you know, um, Richie, he was down over here, trying new things, learn, hey, I love that. Oh, Timmy, good stuff, thank you. I'm gonna look at that. And he came by and he, he was passing through, he has a girlfriend over here and, and he stopped at my house and I'm in the backyard and he goes, how's your brother doing? And I'm like, ah, it's bad, dude. It's, I, don't, I, I don't think he's going to fucking live out the year, you know? And then we're sitting in the backyard. We're each in a chair, and there's a table in between us, little coffee table thing outside. And the fucking phone rings. And I'm like, it's my brother E. And I go, I just knew it right away. I go, this, this ain't going to be good. I just knew it. And I go, yo, what's up? And he goes, did you hear? I go, Frank died, right? And he's like, yeah, man, they just found him. So Richie left. I, I had my breakdown, you know. Three hours later, I went back to that book and I started writing. That's how I processed it. I said, I didn't mean this to be one of the, the second chapter of this book. But now it has to be because I need to work through my shit with my brother and tell his story right here. I have to stop the narrative drive of this story and tell my brother's story in the hopes that this helps somebody. In the hope that somebody and the passion that comes out on those pages when I read it, to, I, I, I'm still in tears because it was real. And that's what this is about. You know, even with my mom, when we had that conversation, it was over the phone and I was saying hurtful shit to her and she broke down and she kept saying, you don't know the whole story. Stop. I was like, I fucking hate you. Fuck you. Frank was struggling, dying. And then she told me her story and we sat there literally for fucking 10 minutes holding the phone, sobbing. Those are real moments. That's not fake shit. And something that happened to my brother, which I talk about in the book, he had to get another surgery. So they have to put him in, they had to put him, he had, kept getting heart surgeries, the VA fucked him up. So they had to put him in a detox center upstate at the Finger Lakes, uh, veteran VA hospital up there to detox before the surgery. So they got to put him in a medically induced coma and reduce, still give him the you know, he was so bad that if they just tried to go cold turkey, he would his heart would stop. So they had to slowly, you know, put him under, but slowly reduce the shit till it was like, okay, you can have this heart surgery now. So the day he goes in there, the nurse picks up his fucking chart. And she's like, oh, Frank McGowan, are you any relation to John McGowan? And, and my brother's like, yeah, John Joseph McGowan from the Cro-Mags. And that's my brother. And she's like, no, not John Joseph McGowan, John Emil McGowan. And Frank goes, that's my father. And the nurse goes, John Emil McGowan is your father? And Frank's like, yeah. She's like, I'll be right back. 
She leaves and comes back five minutes later. And she goes, what's your mother's maiden name? My mother's Czech and Irish, Marie Petak, yeah. What's your brother's name? Eugene and John. The nurse, her fucking jaw drops and she goes, your father is dying in the room next to you. And I still, I still get goosebumps telling that fucking story. And I didn't even know, I don't know how he ended up in the VA. We didn't know, was he in the military? Who the fuck knows? Maybe he had a kid that was in the military somewhere and he, he was a dependent on his, I don't know how the fuck he ended up there. My father wanted to send in a priest to ask for Frank's forgiveness. And my brother said, tell him to fucking burn in hell for what he did to us and my mother. So then they put him in another section of the VA after whatever the fuck, and he was getting ready to come back down and get surgery. And when he was checking out, they gave him my, my father's, nobody claimed my father's ashes, nothing. My father ended up filthy fucking pants. This is his life was in this paper bag that they gave him at the VA. Half a pack a camel non-filters, filthy fucking sneakers, filthy shirt, and a filthy pair of pants. And I said, Frank, what are the odds of my our father ending up in the room next to you, alone, homeless? I said, that was the universe giving you a fucking sign that this was gonna be your fucking life if you don't fucking change what you're doing. Even his wife, they were doing oxys and all the shit because the VA gave him unlimited oxys. And his wife had, uh, she was on kidney dialysis. She died in his arms. Right after that, he fucking called me up. I said, get on the fucking train right now. I'll meet you at Penn, at Penn Station. I went and met him. Intervention number fucking 75. Put him in the VA. Crying. Called there the next day to come and bring him shit. Gone. He left. He went back to the house that his girl just died in and started using again. So there's lessons out there that, the, that God, Krishna, the universe is trying to teach us, man. You got to understand that and see. Just like when I was sitting in Tompkins Square Park in the pouring rain in front of Prabhupada's tree. And I was fucking... I had like destroyed everything in my fucking life. And this voice told me, go to the temple. And that's what I did. And the guy who was the temple president at the time was cool. And he's like, yeah, man, I know I've been, everybody's been hearing you. You're out there fucking on a tear, but you stay here now. You get a job, you attend the temple programs. And that's how I clawed my way out of that shit. I listened when that voice in my head came and said, yo, this is it. You're going to fucking die. Go to the temple. I went. And that's what I said. I'm going to fucking die if you don't let me stay here. That's what it's about. Now it's about listening to the universe. The frequencies are out there. It's about us dialing into them. Everything's out there in the ether. It's like my teacher said. 
Beethoven's fifth was out in the universe in the ether. He was able to fucking pull it out. That's what it's all about as an artist, man. Just love what you do. It comes back to that again. Have the passion for the work, not for the result. Love what you do. Because you know who quits? When they don't fucking sell a bestseller or they don't have a hit record. What did Muhammad Ali said? The test of a true champion is what he does after that first loss. Absolutely. What are you going to do? It's about you know, getting up. I, I, I DNF'd on two races last year, you know, I, which I wanted to race in honor of my brother. So I got very sick racing Florida. I collapsed two miles, less than two miles from the finish of the race. I was sick, throwing up, couldn't keep any fluids down. Had to get taken on a medical fucking uh, one of those gator things with the four wheels fucking to the medical tent on the fucking board. Guy fucking comes in, dies in front of me from the same shit. Cardiac arrest because he couldn't keep fluids. That's what happens. But he fucking stumbled across the fucking finish line, collapsed and died. And then Cozumel, my bike fucked up. They, they cracked my derail and my chain kept coming off. So when I got 75 miles into the ride, that was it. Fucking bike mechanical took me out. I started training right away again. I'm not letting that defeat fucking define me. And then I get Mama Luke's, oh yeah, DNF. I'm like, yeah, all right, motherfucker. DNF, did not finish. You want to snap? I always say, show me your resume, motherfucker. I got all my medals over here, but I'm not relying on those past laurels either. What I did before don't matter. It's what I'm doing now. What am I doing tomorrow? I have a plan. I have goals. I'm I'm working toward those. You know, slow and steady, man. That's it. That's it. That's it. Slow and steady. John, it has been amazing talking to you, man, and having you here. Like we yeah. could sit here probably for hours and talk, but I, I know we've all got it's, stuff it's going Sunday. on. It's Sunday. This is this was like church. Yeah, absolutely. It's like <laughs> church. This is church to us, man. Go to right? church. Listen. There's big attacks on people who believe in God now. Fuck those people that say that. Fuck those people. If you believe in God, believe in God. I don't care what it is. If you're a Christian, be the best Christian. Muslim, be the best Muslim. The whole shit is the ones who say that shit are the most miserable people. The happiest people I know have faith and, and, and serve God and serve humanity. I've been all over the world, man. I've raced all over the world, traveled all over the world, been to third world countries, people with nothing. And they're the most joyous, happy people on the, on the planet because they don't care about all the materialistic bullshit, this, that, arguing over racism, all this shit. I'm going to finish with this. All this shit that they're doing, I don't give a fuck what you do. You go do whatever the fuck. Why do we have to step and infringe on what everybody else is doing? You want to be fucking trans? Be trans. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. You want to take medical experiments? Go do it. I don't give a fuck. Just don't tell me what to do. Don't infringe your shit on me. And we good. Don't start none. There won't be none. I support the truth. I look for the love in humanity. I to. to no matter who the fuck you are, be a good person in this world. 
But you know what keeps me grounded? Chanting Hare Krishna, doing my spiritual work every day, doing my workout. I don't care what everybody else does. Like I said, let me do my thing. I want to help people. I want to put great works out into the universe. I want to challenge myself on a daily basis. I want to keep the PMA, the positive mental effect attitude. And, uh, you know, there's nothing more positive than speaking the truth. So to all the motherfuckers that say, where's the PMA? It's always right there. I'm able to multitask. Be a good person in life, man. And, and worry about you. Take the fucking lens off of you, focused on everybody else, and turn that motherfucker inside. See what's inside your heart. See what's inside your fucking skull. You know what? what are you uh, dealing with on a, How many people are you helping on a daily basis? Right. If if my days are consumed with helping motherfuckers, when do I got time to try to tear somebody down? What's that Buddhist saying? Never make yourself taller by standing on the head of others. Stay humble, motherfuckers. Trinata pisune chena, and we can end it there. I I want to just say one thing about you know the people that don't have, like you, you said, that the people that don't have the, the PMA, the people that want to fucking hate, have, they're the ones that are hurting the most. And something that I want to say to them is that, you know, the, they bring up the DNF, as you said. Yeah. Well, I want to put that back to them, the DNGU, because you did not give up. So yeah. that's, that's, that's where it's at. It doesn't matter if you get fucking knocked down. It matters how many times you're going to get back up. That's right. We all get knocked on our ass, but it's about who gets the fuck back up. Right. Like, and that's, that's the true strength, man. You came here, you, you're fucking honest and you're real and you're sharing these hard stories, man. And that is, in my opinion, that's fucking strength. Yeah. Well, you know, that strength came out of weaknesses too. I get it. I and get we it. We have but... to focus on our weaknesses in life. And that's what people don't want to do. Because that's the bullshit detector. Hold that fucking mirror up. Let's see what are your weaknesses? We all have them. I still have them. Everybody does. Turn weaknesses into strengths is the key. You're absolutely right. Because what does it say about taking things personal in the four agreements? That's their hell that they're projecting on you. That's their consciousness. They're letting you know who they are. When they go online, somebody sent me this thing because I posted all my books. You're a grifter fucking, you know, no matter what you do to those people, I don't get You could cure fucking childhood cancer. Yeah, you should have done it 10 years ago. You fucking, no matter what you do, those people, because they're suffering and miserable, are going to find fault with it, right? So that's their hell that they're projecting. If you accept it, then it becomes your truth. That's what Don Miguel Ruiz says in the Four Agreements. That's their hell. Fuck those people that talk shit. That's their hell they're projecting onto you. That's, you know, Prabhupada said, a fool can go undetected until they open their mouth. And then they reveal themselves. If anybody wants to read Prabhupada's books for free or listen to them, is the game changer. There you go. BhaktiVedanta, VedicLibrary.org. That's free. 
There's no charge. They're not trying to sell you nothing. That's Prabhupada's original books because they changed all his books too. These fucking people in there that need a good smack in the fucking head. You know, I like ending on some positive uh, stuff. So I sent you the link and, uh, and, and and post that out. Anybody wants to read Prabhupada's original books, man. That's people ask me, how did I overcome everything and all it is and my and the work ethic, all of that comes from the knowledge that Prabhupada was handing out. Even the age of quarrel. Where do you think I got the name of to call that record the age of quarrel? That's from the Vedas of India, the oldest spiritual texts on the planet. They talked about the Kali Yuga, the age of the Iron Age of quarrel and hypocrisy. That's why that record stood the, stood the test of the time. The music was great and the message was great of the lyrics. That's, that's why. That's and a that good... came from, from Prabhupada. I don't care who wants to take credit for what. That's all bullshit. The reason that band blew up is because the message behind the band and everything else was important for the world to hear. And whatever happened after that, that's humans fucking shit up. I gotta get. I gotta let him out. All right. God Thanks, bless, John. Man. John, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. Right. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Sorry, you got I, it. sorry, I was late. That's all good, man. It's all good. I appreciate it. We'll let you know when it's coming out, and we can connect with Mario and let him know. Absolutely, Mario, my boys. I call that motherfucker Squingeely. Yo, <laughs> pasta fasul. Yo, fucking Squingeely. We talk all the time. I love his wife too, Kim. Awesome, man. Good awesome people. And awesome, when everybody John. was trying to cancel the band and wouldn't give us the time of day, he put our record out with Pitchfork. I love that motherfucker. And if you haven't heard Souls, go get it. And we yeah, got go get it. Upstate records. Upstate, Upstate records, man. Upstate records. Find blood clot. We care about the bands, not ripping off the band. Awesome, Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Peace, Words man. Up. Horns up. But Harry Krishna. <laughs> I'm a I'm a walking dichotomy, bro. <laughs> I'll knock you out and then I'll feed you when you wake up. <laughs> All right, I'm just kidding. I'm not a violent man anymore. <laughs> Peace. Peace. That was great. Will, another awesome interview. Wow, dude, I can't believe it. Holy shit. Until next week. Get well. Be safe. Stay above. Hey, thank you very much for listening to episode 212 of Above Ground Podcast with our guest, John Joseph. Uh, John Joseph is the singer for the hardcore band Blood Clot, which happens to be part of the Upstate Records roster. That's right. And I have to give a huge shout out and thank you to Mario. Mario, who, along with his wife, Kim, run upstate records and i have to thank him for the introduction because i would not have been able to do that interview without him so thank you very much mario for connecting john and i anybody who doesn't know john went from being a cro-magnon way back in the day in one of the most legendary new york city hardcore bands to being a vegan triathlete he's an author he wrote the PMA Effect, which is one of my favorite help yourself books. 
And don't forget, help yourself books are important, so don't forget to pick up John Joseph's The PMA Effect and Timmy's Never Underestimate the Power of You. But also, Upstate Records also is the home of Technical Death Masters Revenge Beast, who just released their debut album. And Albany's own Tsunami of a Band, Brick by Brick. That's right. Brick by Brick is part of the Upstate Records family also. So please go check out Brick by Brick and their their newest is Dismal Existence, and that's available on upstaterecordsnewyork.com. So please go check it out. Please uh, come to Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market on July 16th. See ya. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.